We are back in the PG series. Uh, this is week five of six. So we conclude on Father's Day next week. We began on Mother's Day. This series has been about parents, about parental guidance, that it's actually more than suggested. Parental guidance is necessary to raising up our children. One of the things that I've enjoyed about this series is this really isn't so much about the minutia of techniques and the different details. It's really about what it means to be a parent that's a believer and raising our children in the things that we believe. And so there's some underlying central things that are so very helpful. Because it's that way, even if you're not a parent, um, there are some things that you can latch on to today as you could latch on to the previous week. So really excited about today's message. It's called Field of Dreams, and our focus is you have entered the field of dreams when your children love and trust the God you love and trust. Now, that's a field of dreams, and some people are out there that are experiencing more of the field of nightmares, and uh, they, they feel like, wow, that's, that is just a dream. Um, if that's you and you're feeling a lot of pain because your children are not experiencing the love and trust that you have for God, uh, first of all, th- this is not a message for you to take on guilt. This is not a message for you to just go down and feel, go away feeling worse. Uh, I want you to kind of hang on to hope. Now, a reminder, even if you're the perfect parent doing everything right, that doesn't guarantee that your kids will choose right Um, God was a perfect heavenly father. He set two individuals without sin in a perfect garden setting, and these two individuals chose to rebel against him. And so there is a responsibility on the part of the child that sometimes is completely out of control of the parent. Sometimes it probably didn't even need to be thrown in there. So if that's you... Uh, Be encouraged, there'll be something to hang on to today for you as well. What we're all hoping for, though, is some tips and tricks and secrets on how to get to the field of dreams where the God you love and trust begins to be the God that your children love and trust, and how do we pass that along? A little bit of um, personal story, personal note. Um, When I arrived at my parents' home, This little bundle of joy that they called Jimmy um, was not always a bundle of joy. Uh, There were times I'm quite sure that people would look at my behavior and they would shake their heads like those poor parents. (laughs) And of course, some of these things I heard about later and I remember them. And some of them I did not need to be reminded I remember them as far as the challenge that I was to my parents. Um, the reason I tell you that is, is not so that uh, you see what a great job my parents did. Uh, that's not why I tell you that. I also want to just kind of give you some background to give you more hope. My parents both came from broken homes in a time that that was very unusual. Um, they both had very little in the way of... Uh, model and support and positive things from their parents' backgrounds. My dad's dad was an alcoholic and his family was abandoned. And my dad had to go to work as a teenager to help support the family. He was, um, I met, of course, and, and looked up to my uncle, but my uncle looked up to my father as a father figure 
uh, in some of the difficult circumstances they grew up in. So parenting was not something that my parents learned in a lot of the natural ways that we would hope we could learn them as watching our, our parents model it to us. So my parents got together uh, both out of broken situations and pr- probably some of their identifying with each other was from those similar backgrounds. And they had to look to God and to their grandparents and to other models to try to figure out how to do this thing called parenting. I used to hear my dad tell stories, and of course, I remember the ones that were about me, you know, where one time he's just chuckled, uh, telling stories about, here's what Jimmy did, and of course, I didn't know it until he told me, oh yeah, I kind of remember that. We used to invite, I say we, my parents used to invite people to our family dinner a lot, um, because my parents were missionaries, some of you knew that, and We would have meals and conversations and all kinds of things would take place around a meal. One particular time, and this is, uh, I remember it because my father told the story more than once. He was telling the story to an audience. Yeah, Jimmy was sitting there at the table and uh, he was, had food all over his hands and he was wiping it on his pants. And I turned to him, I said, Jimmy, stop wiping the food on your pants. I said, okay, daddy. I seriously thought I was obeying him. I didn't, I'm a little slow on the uptake, and <clears throat> those kinds of stories came my direction early as reminders, but things like that got um, a lot more difficult than that. I was a challenge. Um, there's a barrier to raising children into the field of dreams, and and this barrier is not often what we think it is. Yes, I was a challenge, but I want to talk about a barrier that we often don't look at. So here is a barrier that I want to read on the screen. The main thing that gets in the way of good parenting is not the child's character, but the character of the parent. Now, I already gave you a little disclaimer. I don't want you to go away feeling heavy guilt, okay? But each of us needs to look to our own character if we're the parent. Have you ever blown a perfect parenting opportunity by turning that opportunity into a reason for being angry with your child? I have. And I've blown the perfect parenting opportunity because if I would have handled the situation with less anger and more as an opportunity, it would have really added to the cultivation of the field of dreams. But instead, I was angry. Now, this is common where parents get angry because usually it's a repeat offense. And here's what we do. We will want to put into the situation, into that event, enough memorable impression that it will make a significant change in our child's life. And so the temptation is to go, put enough impression into that moment that they will remember and make a change. There's a problem here. And I want to address that problem. Point number one, if you're the kind of person that likes to take notes and write in blanks, here is point number one. Change is a process, not 
an event. If you put too much expectation in the moment of correction, in the event itself, that often brings out the emotion where you want to make sure they remember and you can't believe they did this again. And in that moment, you're sort of short-circuiting the long-haul good that can come out of this learning moment as anger takes over instead of the opportunity to learn and grow and shape it in a better way. So those poor parents, you've seen it, right? You've seen other people where you go, whoa, that little darling needs to be corrected, right? <laughs> and we've, we've, we think, they think it's cute. Eventually, they will be bigger, and it won't be cute anymore, and we see it, and we think all this stuff. Now, I actually grew up, um, not grew up, I actually spent months in homes before, where I started to evaluate when I'm not a parent. Oh, man, they needed to address that one. I was a perfect parent until I became a parent. They, <laughs> they really need to deal with that one. But what amazed me is the long haul, what I thought would happen in the long haul did not happen in these scenarios, and it wasn't the details about the correction that caused the long haul good. It was the long haul good approach that makes a big difference. Now, when little package Jimmy arrived at my parents' house, they thought I was cute. They thought I was a little darling. I thought I was the center of the universe. I thought I was in charge of the known world, at least my known world. And that's how we all come prepackaged in the package. The long haul is to help little not so benevolent dictator <laughs> learn that they are not the center of the universe, right? And so maybe you've seen it uh, take place in other people where somebody is like, you know. You take control, he's taking control, you take control. So my little self-appointed uh, center of the universe, um, just so that you have hope in your strong-willed child situation, think of my parents. They, they didn't have the equipment, they didn't know, but they looked to God, they prayed a lot, they went for the long haul, and that is where we need to aim. Otherwise, every event becomes a battle. Every event can short-circuit, and it'll be difficult. Now, I'm on a long-haul view. I believe this is true about my parents. I don't think they would say it this way. Their lifestyle was the music that made the lyrics of their song believable. Let me say that again. Their lifestyle was the music that made the lyrics of their song, Believable. It takes a long haul to actually see that. If my parents were to address every individual event with intensity and strong impression, I would have lost the music for the lyrics. But I didn't. I grew up loved, knowing that my parents loved and trusted God. And for some reason, there was a transfer of the song. And that was a long-haul lifestyle 
approach more so than the details. So this is a long-haul, lifestyle kind of message to help us address we have to get the song across. And sometimes we're so focused on the event, the lyrics no longer sound believable. Does that make sense? All right. That sounds real sentimental, and it sounds um, probably too fluffy. So I want to just talk about reality, okay? Let's talk about reality. Maybe you've watched a child go tilt. And this happens at two, this happens at four, this happens at six, this happens at 14, this happens at 16. Actually, I've seen adults go tilt. Have you not? Well, all of a sudden, it's just over the edge, tilt. Everything just, just went wrong, okay? How do you evaluate what just took place there? And what do you do in that situation? I'll tell you one thing. Um, when a child goes tilt, let's, let's just pick a scene. Uh, there's a comp competitive scene of young children playing, and it's not going well, and suddenly you watch a child go tilt and pushes maliciously and knocks another child over. And boom, down the child goes. And then there's, and then the child that went tilt suddenly going, uh-oh, I'm going to get in trouble. Okay, you're watching that scene in your brain? All right. Here's what the temptation is. You go to the situation, you make the most of the situation, make an impressionable moment, you ask the question like, what do you think you were doing? Why did you knock over little Joey? Or whatever that is, right? Here's what you will never hear the child say. I'm sorry, Mommy and Daddy. I hit her because of the sin in my heart. It makes me selfish and jealous and violent, and I'm a person who needs to be rescued from myself. As you know, Daddy and Mommy, the greatest danger to me lives inside of me, not outside of me. And for that, I need you both to help me get to know the Savior who helped you so much. Now, is there anything on that statement that's not true? It's a completely true statement. But we will never hear it from our children. Why is that? What is it that we do here? What in the world were you thinking? What did you do that for? And we hear, I don't know. Or, there's another one. She hit me first. Or she pushed me out of the way. Or he, we get total self-justification for the violent, destructive behavior. And we think this is weird. Hello? It's not weird. Every sinful behavior, now this is deep spiritual truth, every sinful behavior that anyone ever enters into comes with it a self-deception. To do that sinful behavior, you have to buy into some sort of self-deception to even go there. And so when you ask the kid, why did you do this? Remember, they did it because a measure of self-deception I'm the center of the world. I'm the center of the universe. Of course, they wronged me. Or whatever the self-deception is, is governing that behavior. It's true for adults. It's true for the 16-year-olds. It's true for everyone. When we're caught in the sin, or the reason we did the sin, is we're hanging on to something that deceived us enough to go that way, thinking, this is better. It'd be better if I did that. I'm totally justified in doing that. All right, so now we're going to get into some 
biblical thoughts that help us deal with this tricky, tough question. How do we actually get to the field of dreams when this is where we don't live? We never, we never say this or evaluate ourselves this way. How do we move a child to the place where they evaluate themselves correctly and they truly are rescued from self? They truly are rescued from the danger inside which we all have. Okay, before I move on, I went to this concept late in the message earlier, and I think I want to go there earlier in the message later. Never mind, you're getting lost. Um, Right now, I want to just say, we tend to believe a lie ourselves about our parenting. If I parent perfectly, if I parent really well, I will raise up perfect children. I will raise up well-adjusted, good people that do good. Hello? There's a problem in every human being that a parent cannot solve. We cannot solve this problem by ourselves. If we could, Jesus would not have had to be sent to die. God would have just given us better parenting seminars. (laughs) Right? A parenting seminar cannot raise up a child that's saved from sin. A child that's saved from sin has to be brought to a conclusion and a relationship that they need a savior. How do you get them there? That's the field of dreams, okay? When the song about a savior and a lifestyle that comes with following him is something that a child buys into, that's what we're talking about. So point number two, In order for this to happen, you have to step into the river of grace. If you are busy trying to address parenting issues or child issues as a parent and discipline and training and teaching, but you don't jump into the river of grace, you're going to do your child a disservice and you will not lead them to the field of dreams. Okay? They need to hear the song to believe your lyrics. They need to see it in your life. How are they going to get it if they don't see it in your life? How do they see it in your life? You've got to live it in the river of grace. You've got to receive the grace that comes to you that changed you out of the center of the universe position. But here's where a lot of kids, they don't see it. They see the lifestyle of a parent where the parent has gone into adult center of the universe mode, I will be happy if I make more money. I will be happy if I do this. I will be happy if I do that. And they are in the center of their universe, and the only person worthy to be in the center of the universe is God himself. Self cannot be in the center of the universe in an adult life and get across the lyrics that is a sweet song. So we need to at least step into the river of grace and begin to learn from the grace that is receivable from Jesus and begin to communicate that to our children. I'm going to pick two verses. Both come from the Apostle Paul. They're not parenting verses, but I can't think of better parenting verses than these not parenting verses, okay? So 1 Timothy is written to um, a pastor who... Paul has brought up in the faith and brought him along to become a pastor, and he's mentoring him. And this is what Paul says to Timothy, young Timothy. He says, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in 
me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now let me just digress a second. A lot of parents struggle with the idea of being a a model for their own children. Some parents don't. They present themselves as a model for their children all the time. Others feel like, perhaps my parents did, where they feel like, I'm not sure we got it all together. I don't know that we've got this all figured out. Okay? And so they kind of struggle with being a model and presenting themselves as a model. Take a look at how Paul presents himself as a model here. He says, as an example, but look at what he's an example of. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners. Now that's a model I think I can live up to. That as a sinner, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example. Now to step into the river of grace, what I'm talking about is communicating with your children in many moments throughout their lifetime, over and over again, how in the river of grace, God helps you. Paul spoke about himself as a model in this way. I was the worst of sinners. This is something I think I can live up to. Now, by that, I don't mean go out and become the worst of sinner. (laughs) I mean, you can talk about your own failures, your own weaknesses, and address those not from the standpoint of this is what I did to fix it, address those from the standpoint of this is what God brings to me so that I can cope with this and do better in this. Now, this sounds like, oh, okay, that model I can live up to. Let me tell you, it's a very, very difficult model, particularly for, I'll just speak for me, a dad. It's a very difficult model for me as a husband. You know what gets in the way? Pride. I do not want to say, I blew it. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Inside, my pride wants to say, you know, well, the reason why I did that, and, and I, I want to share with you um, It's a quote from Michelle Anthony's book, Spiritual Parenting and Awakening for Today's Families. Late in the book, she describes her father as somebody she idealized. Her father, somebody, when she was really struggling, she would go to her father, even as an adult, to have him sort it through and say a blessing over her, which is really amazing in view of what her father was like before he started a family and what her father was like in the early years of her growing up. She tells a story about when, first of all, you need to understand, her father was a lot like my father. Her father's father was an alcoholic. So her father entered into a family with a lot of baggage, a lot of anger, a lot of unresolved issues, a lot of stuff from his past. At one point, when she was around six, Something took place at the table. She didn't follow all the adult stuff. She didn't know what was going on. All she knew was suddenly her dad flipped, took the bowl of chili that her mom had made, threw it across the room, and it crashed and busted on the wall. Chili everywhere, and just a a rage reaction. She just 
fell apart, crying, ran up to her room and protected herself, slammed the door and cried and cried and cried, didn't know what to make of this. And then she writes what takes place next. Her father came up to the room moments later, and this is what he said. Michelle, I did not reflect God by my actions just then. Will you forgive me? That's not what Jesus would have done. And I'm really, really sorry. Then she writes, I threw my arms around his neck and said, yes, Daddy, of course I forgive you. Later on, a couple paragraphs, she writes, from a very early age, I felt my dad was such a great example to me, even in his shortcomings and failures, because he consistently identified when his behavior was not congruent with Jesus. Moreover, he then modeled for me what to do when that happens. You go to the person, you ask for their forgiveness, and then you make it right. Now she writes a bunch of other paragraphs, and then she writes this paragraph, and this is the one that struck me the most. She writes what her father did not say. He did not say, hey, I'm really sorry I threw the chili, but you know my dad left me when I was young. Your mom's been nagging me all night. I was tired because I haven't slept. I was stuck in traffic. And so I'm just sorry that you were in the middle of all that. But I've got a lot of stuff on my plate right now. He didn't say that. That's going to be the temptation. While you are needing the grace of God, you want to hide the fact that you need the grace of God from your children. While you are needing the grace of God, you'll want to actually speak out your justification, which is a form of self-deception, making it okay to be and say and do what you did. Pride will cause you to want to go there, but her dad entered into the river of grace received enough grace and went to the cross and recognized where he's wrong so well he could go to her, a little girl, and say to her, I'm so sorry. I was so wrong. And I love you. Will you please forgive me? That is a hard place to go with your children. But that is precisely the place we need to go for them to get a hold of the sweetness of the song. They can start to believe the lyrics when they see the song in your life. I think it's really hard to go there with your marriage. I am so sorry. I was wrong. I love you. Will you forgive me? That is acknowledging the reality. Don't justify and explain, and prop it up as not as bad as it looks. Go to grace. Express the song. Then over the long haul, the lyrics seem believable. Point number three. Being a living, breathing model of real life is what that is about. A living, breathing model of real life. 
It's not the details as much as the reality. In our world today, we have a plastic front Christianity that we want to present. And the place we want to present it most is with the people closest to us. And it'd be better if rather than present a plastic front, we actually jump into the river of grace and begin to be vulnerable and ask God and plead to God and ask him for the forgiveness we need and then ask the forgiveness from the person that we've offended. That actually is drawing people closer rather than driving them away. And as a parent, we tend to want to fix, fix, fix as if we have it all together. You can actually do a better job if you take the many moments of life and relate it to your many moments in a way that's child-appropriate, age-appropriate, you're sharing from your life too, here's how God's grace helped me. If you gave me a choice early in my life and different scenarios between, and here's how it often went down, between the spanking that my mom would give me or the talking to that my dad would give me, I would want the spanking my mom would give me. And it's not because the talking to from my dad was dressing me down in an anger. That wasn't it at all. My dad would say things like, you know, you need to treat your brother better. You know that when I was your age, not much older than you, I was already having to go to work and help support my brother. It's like, oh man, that's a heavy. Can I just get spanked? (laughs) You know? Um, but the talking to is like, oh, wow, a living, breathing model of real life. And the thing is, the older I got, the more it actually matched. It wasn't that it was incongruent and the lyrics didn't match the song. The song matched the lyrics. And so as I grew older, I wanted that song to be real in my life too. My dad really shocked me one time as a child when I learned I'd never seen him smoke when I learned that he was a smoker and that he explained to me how he stopped smoking. And in the explaining to me how hard that was and how he leaned on God to help him stop smoking and also some props, he used uh, lifesavers first, then he used toothpicks and, and then was able to get to the place where he stopped smoking by the grace of God. He just described that to me, but I th- my image of him was totally shattered at first, right? Because as a kid, you, you have whatever image you think that all implies, totally shattered at first, but then because of his explanation, I can tell you this about myself, I have never, ever puffed one puff from a cigarette. Just because he expressed his, the grace in his life and the difficulty in his life in such a way it was like, oh, I'm not going there. The, the lyrics of the music of what God did, I learned vicariously because he expressed the difficulty from his side. Interesting. Now, there were certain things he didn't share. And I, I, he only shared age-appropriate stuff, so I, didn't, I don't even know the finish of this story. He had this big old long scar from here all the way around his arm to here. It was a deep scar in his arm. And when I asked about that as a kid, he said it was in a fight. Uh, a boy used a razor knife. That's all I know. I never knew the rest of the details. That's all he could tell me. Wow, that's sharing many moments. And all of life is just a many moment sharing of real life. Don't 
do what so many believing parents do, where they'll only share themselves as the perfect shiny plastic model, as having it all together. Instead, share how Christ is the answer, not you, because the perfect parent cannot save their child. Only Christ can save our children. Be a living, breathing model of real life. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 5.15. And he died for all, speaking of Jesus, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Do you see how that is an incredible parenting truth? I mean, it's not a parenting verse. But if you as a parent can show how Christ brought you away from living for self and how you have found joy in you not being the center and you see that it actually matches life, then you actually want to love and trust the God that your parents love and trust. Now, it's not a guarantee, but when I saw that my dad, who fought in World War II, and I learned as an adult, when I put the pieces together, he chose Japan to go as a missionary, and I learned later, one of the reasons he chose Japan is Jesus says, love your enemies, and Japan were was the enemy nation that killed his best buddies, and he decides he needs to take Christ to them. And you see that kind of uh, lyric lived out in music, and I only know my dad from the standpoint of laughter and joy and loving all the Japanese neighbors around him. My best friends are Japanese. When you see that kind of lifestyle lived out in front of you, and you realize that they're no longer living for themselves, but for he who died for them, It's a song you want to sing. It's a song you want to live. It's a person you want to be like. If you don't see it lived in another life, how do we understand and get the gospel? If you can't see it lived in the life of another person, just reading it, do you get it? No. Jesus said, go, make disciples. It's life sharing life moment by moment and it transfers over as the song is attractive to you. It's not just the words. It's the life that's attractive. You're going to mess up. My parents messed up. I know their mess ups. One of the things they messed up on is they hardly ever fought in front of me. I didn't know how to fight. And the reason they never fought in, fought in an open way was they did not have a model of how that's healthy. They had destruction in their background, so they just clammed up. I didn't learn better communication skills. They messed up. I mess up, point to the Savior, jump into the river of grace, talk about how God makes a difference in teaching you. We've been finishing each message with these three questions all through this series. What are you doing to enhance your child's relationship with you? As it relates to this message today, I need to ask you, 
Are you ever vulnerable with your children? Are you ever talking about how you messed up? Are you ever pointing to the truth of the gospel, how Christ makes a difference in your life? Are you able to say, I'm sorry, I didn't do what God would have me do. He forgives me, will you forgive me too? I'm working on this, where the lyrics are believable. Now, I think that being honest about your own weaknesses makes you more vulnerable and actually knit your heart together with your spouse, actually knit your heart together with your children if you handle that honestly. Now, the temptation is when your teenage kids are beginning to assert their independence, which is natural, the temptation is, okay, you want your independence here, go ahead and be independent. I'll give you space. I won't be involved in your world as much. Okay, fine, just go up to your room and it's really uncomfortable anyway. Don't do it. Don't give them so much freedom that you get uninvolved in their life. Continue to have conversations. Continue to have conversations. Continue to bring conversations, the many moments to their life. Talk about your own life as uh, in the vulnerable spots. Relate. Add the many moments because it's just the many moments that is the song in the long run. What are you doing to advance your child's relationship with God? I think the more you are real to let your life be on display of how God is at work in you, the more they will want a God who will be at work in them. What are you doing to influence your child's relationship with others? If you have relationship skills like that with them, they will learn those relationship skills with others as well. Jump in the river, show them that the river of grace makes a difference in you. Chances are very good they will want that song that makes you smile. They will want that song that gives you joy. They will want that song that gives you life because you've been talking about these many moments of life their whole life. Would you pray with me? Father, we are challenged because we see our own weaknesses. We see how we have messed up, and we haven't got all of those mess-ups exactly cleaned up perfectly. And so, Lord, we enter into these two passages from Paul, recognizing that your grace makes a difference in our lives. Help us to enter into these many moments of conversation with those closest to us, that the music of grace can be expressed and lived in, experienced, observed, that you would be seen as somebody that we love and trust and you make a difference in our lives so that they will want that kind of relationship too. Help us this day to receive your love, to receive your grace, to be filled up by forgiveness and love and joy that we can spill over love and joy to our children. In Jesus' name, amen.